the only way through is through and you just have to like endure it. You know, my, I remember my mom used to say like this too shall pass. And, and that's, that's really what happens, you know, with time and space and you just got to get through it and, and accept it. I'm sure you've heard resistance, you know, what we resist persists, you know, and I think not resisting it and just like letting it be the way it is, is, is just the best way through. Hey everyone, it's Em. You are listening to episode 166 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I sit down with inspiring individuals to talk about big wins, tough moments, and everything in between. On the show, you can expect vulnerability, motivation, and candid discussions with everyone from top athletes and CEOs to aspiring entrepreneurs on what it really takes to follow your passions. My mission is simple, to inspire you to be your best self, move with intention, and have some fun along the way. Today, I am chatting with Allie Webb. She is a serial entrepreneur, co-founder of Dry Bar, a new jewelry line, Beckett & Quill, Squeeze, which the hurdlers may be familiar with because I had her co-founder, Brittany Driscoll, on the show, and also co-founder of OK Humans and co-host of the new podcast, Girlfriends and Business. Nothing to talk about here, obviously. <laughs> I'll be honest, when I started Hurdle, Ali was on my original list of dream guests, and how could she not be? I mean, she is a powerhouse, and it felt really surreal that when I started the first day that I was in my new studio in Brooklyn, I was able to have my first recording with Ali Webb. Super, super special. In today's episode, we talk about so much. I mean, if you are interested in entrepreneurship, then this one is for you. I don't need to tell you twice that the concept of dry bar, taking care of yourself, self-care, that's a different side of wellness than something like sport. But I would argue these moments of self-care and giving back to yourself are equally as important. She tells me how she got into business. She talks to me about investing and growing multiple different companies and how that impacted her in her personal life. She gets really honest about her divorce and what it was like to work with her ex-husband in the aftermath and how they managed to still be great business partners up to this day. And we talk about how Allie finds balance, which as you can imagine, again, so many companies, so much going on, can't exactly be easy. How she leans into fitness, how her relationship with fitness has evolved over the years. And she gives so much great advice in this episode, which I just cannot wait to share with you. Before we get into it today, I do want to give some love to my friends at Beam. I've said it before, I'm gonna say it again. For a while, I was really hesitant on CBD products because I didn't like that I didn't fully understand what I was putting into my body. But Beam's products are rigorously tested, put up to the highest standards, and that's why I choose them time and time again. One of my favorites, their Beam Dream Blend. Beam has completely revolutionized the way that I sleep. I mix my Dream Blend with some warm, frothed almond milk and a little bit of water about an hour before I go to bed, and the melatonin, L-theanine, Orishi, magnesium, THC-free nano CBD powder, all of it helps me get to sleep better, plus stay asleep throughout the night and wake up feeling refreshed. Of course, I have an offer for you on all Beam products. Head on over to beamtlc.com. That's B-E-A-M-T-L-C.com and use the code HURDLE at checkout for 15% off. 
worthy of highlighting. This works on subscriptions as well, which are already 20% off. So that means you could be getting up to 35% off at beamtlc.com using the code HURDLE at checkout today. Make sure you're following along with Hurdle over on social media. It's at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily Abadi. And with that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I'm sitting down with Allie Webb. She is the co-founder of Drybar, co-founder of a new jewelry line, Beckett and Quill. We'll talk about that today. Co-founder of Squeeze, host of the new podcast, Girlfriends in Business. I mean, I feel like I could rap about you forever. <laughs> I know. I have a lot of things on my plate right now, which is funny because I feel like I'm I don't have like an official job, but my hands are in many projects right now, which is really fun. It makes each day interesting, right? Yeah, no two days look anything alike. I feel like that's been the case for me for a long time, but certainly more now, you know, there's just so many different things going on in my life and I'm very, very grateful for the position I'm in in this particular moment, for sure. Definitely, definitely. Well, I'm very grateful for you and your time. It's a big day for me because I recently moved into a new home and you are the first person that I'm recording with from this home. And it's ironic a little bit. I don't know if ironic's the right word, but I have chatted about this on the show before. When I started the show, I had a list of like 10 to 15 guests that I wanted to speak of. And you are on that original list. And it's not every day that I get to talk to someone that's on that list. So it's just a really cool full circle moment for me. Well, that feels good. Thank you so much. I love it when I make a list. (laughs) (laughs) I know, like a Forbes list, a podcaster's list. I mean, when I'm happy to be on any list. I always, it's a funny subject because it's such like an imposter syndrome thing that I have. Cause I, I was once on a, like a very like celeb list with like Alicia Keys. And I was like, who the hell put me on this list? But it was quite flattering and, and humbling and amazing. So they all matter though. It's really, it's all really, <laughs> it's weird when you think about those things, but yeah. So I'm honored to be on your list. Well, thank you so much. I'm so excited to to be here sitting with you today. I'm going to kick us off, however, by kind of throwing the spotlight on you for a second because earlier on your story, you were asking your Instagram audience for topic suggestions. As I mentioned at yes. the top of this, you now co-host the Girlfriends in Business podcast, which I will link to in the show notes of this episode. But on your Instagram story, you were talking about the quickies that you guys do for the show, which is just one-off solo episodes and asking what topics does your audience want to hear about from you? Now, personally, I would love to hear from you a little bit about just the concept of asking for money, right? Because money is so intimidating. It is scary. It is something that can be really awkward to talk about, Mm -hmm. but it's also really important. So for you, just maybe a little bit of wisdom here. What would your advice be to someone who is scared to pitch out their idea, but definitely recognizes that they're going to need investment? Yeah. It's a good question. And it's a good topic. I wrote it down. So I remembered it to talk about it. But you know, the thing about raising money is there's so many different ways to do it. And first and foremost, 
I would advise anybody who's wanting to raise money to like talk to other people who've raised money first, you know, and find out all the different ways. So like to your question, you know, I didn't know how to do that either. When we first started dry bar, my brother, Michael Landau, who's more of the business or was more of the business side of things, you know, he had a little bit of experience, but not much. And I will tell you the big secret is ask a lot of people, you know, it's like, ask people who raise money, ask people who are in the finance world, just ask a lot of questions to anybody you can get your hands on. Because by the way, people love to have the answers. People love to tell you what they know. That's just the way humanity is, you know? And for us, you know, I remember in the early days when I wasn't thinking about any of that stuff and we were like, you know, realizing very quickly that we had to go from one location to two locations because we simply couldn't house all the demand we had, which was an awesome problem to have. And it was like, oh, but shit, we don't have any more money to do that. So now what? And my brother... I imagine he talked to people about it too, but he was, I remember him telling me that we were going to go to friends and family and we were going to ask like people who were close to us, you know, to give us money, not give us, but, you know, invest in us, you know, and to me that, that seemed very logical, you know, and, and it was logical and it is, it is, it is a good first way to raise like your initial tranche of money, you know, find those people who are just like hardcore believers in what you're doing and prove to them that, you have a different business, show them the path. You know, the, the great thing about raising money is you're selling a fantasy, not reality, which is like, you know, hopefully the, the fantasy comes true, but you are, you're selling, you know, we knew that we had had initial success. And of course there has to be some proof of concept and something that's, you know, separating you from the pack and all of that. But like, if you can say, which we were able to show potential investors, here's what we're doing right now. Here are the numbers. Here's the success of dry bar number one. We humbly believe. And if you look at the numbers, you probably will too, that we can, you know, build stores two, three, four, five, six. And, you know, we had, we had proved that concept. So we did have something to show, but sometimes when you're in the early, early phases, which, you know, of course we were too, you know, I started like blogging, which I'm not really a blogger. I don't really have a, I don't have a blog, but in the early days I was blogging about dry bar and I'm really just kind of chronicling the progress of opening that first store. And, you know, we had people reach out to us even before we'd opened and said, I love this idea. I want to invest, you know, which I, you know, which I think is not completely the norm, but if you do have something that you're doing different and better than anybody else, and you're being pretty public about it, which I was on a very small scale, because I didn't have much of a following, nobody knew who I was or anything like that, but we did get some interest that way. So that, that's like, I think the first and best way to invest a little bit of money. And, and also, you know, I remember my brother explaining this to me, like friends and family for the most part are not nearly as sophisticated investors as private equity and venture capital. Like those guys are scrutinizing the shit out of your business. They're looking at things in a much more intense way where you're, you know, and, and I'm in that unsophisticated category too. I mean, I have lots of friends and family that I've, I've made investments that my financial advisors were like, well, if this is the best investment. But you know, for me, it was like a personal thing. And I've, I've invested in a handful of like my friends' companies, not a lot of money, but a little bit of money, mostly to show support. And, you know, secondarily, because I believed in what they were doing, you know, it's not like, you know, I was expecting to get really rich from that investment. I was, you know, it'd be nice to make some money off of it, but it was more as like a show of support. You can use my name. I'll help support you, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, you'd be surprised about the people in your network who can help in those initial phases of raising money, you know, and then of course, and I don't want to make the whole podcast about this, but of course you can, <laughs> once you get, you prove out a little bit more, you can start doing a full process where you get an investment banker that you really love and trust and 
it's important who you hire for that too. And then they start helping you narrow down who to invest in and what private equity firms or what venture capitalists are interested in, you know, beauty or wellness or fitness or whatever your category is. I know it's like a very overwhelming and daunting thing to think about, but when you actually like get into it, it's really not, you know, it's like, it's just a question of finding the right people to help you. And I'm such a firm believer that the people that you need are very, very much in your network. Even if, even if they're not in your network, they know somebody like six degrees in your network, you know? So, yeah. um, ask a lot of questions, talk to a lot of people and you'll, you know, you'll carve out the path. Making the ask is obviously the hardest part. And then I think the other thing that I took away from that from you is really being clear on what your ask is, like what you're going into the mix with, knowing what it is that you want to build and really hammering that down before you're like, hey, I I have this idea. Because as you said, being able to differentiate what your idea is versus what may already exist. And also like, you know, spend a little money on putting like a really impressive, sexy deck together. You know, for me, it's like, if somebody wants me to invest in something, my first thing is send me the deck, you know, and it's like, it has to be impressive. Otherwise it's just, it's the first impression on the business. I mean, of course I can, you can sell me on on an idea in a verbal way, but like, then I want to see, I want to, I want to understand what the brand looks and feels like, like that is so important. You know, if, if the brand isn't done well, it's like, then I'm, I lose interest really quickly, you know? And then it's like, what is the product? What is the price point? Why is it different than the competitors? Show me that all of that information in a deck, you know? And again, that might feel overwhelming, but you can put all that stuff together and then get a creative to help you, you know, make it, it doesn't, and it doesn't have to be like a 20 page fancy deck. It can be five pages just to show a handful of metrics that like, are like, Oh yeah, I get this. Got it. You know? And then it's an easier investment. It's so interesting to to hear all of this advice from you, just as it has been for me to listen to you other on other podcasts before, because here you are a wealth of knowledge with so much experience. But when you went into starting your first business, you had been a stylist for 15 years. So let's yeah. bring it back and talk a little bit about that period in your life. Did you think that that was an avenue that you were going to be pursuing forever before you got into the business side of things with Drybar? Yeah. I mean, yes and no. I mean, I historically my whole life since like I, I graduating high school have jumped around from thing to thing. And, and, you know, while I think that was frowned upon a bit when I was a kid, when I was younger, it was like, you know, what's Allie going to do is like, I was like this butterfly, like always fluttering around to thing after thing, you know, but I think that served me really well. And I, you know, and I loved doing hair. I really fell in love with it. Hair was like always a thing for me because my hair is so naturally curly. And I just, I had this like real love for hair and I still do. I still can get like very lost in doing my own hair and like lose track of time and all of that. I love it, but I did end up in other careers and I did end up doing other things. And I, you know, I I swerved a lot in my twenties and really my thirties. And you know, I became a stay at home mom and I loved being able to be with my kids. I mean, I was like, thought I had like hit the jackpot that I was able to stay home and not, you know, quote unquote work until I realized how much work kids were. But no, you know, there was never like, I never had this like plan. I never imagined dry bar as I was, you know, spending so many years in, you know, what was hair and I worked in PR and I did all this. I did so many things, which all very uniquely, I think, prepared me for, you know, dry bar and understanding professionalism, which I think I got when I worked in PR and I was sitting in a cubicle behind a computer and had to write professional emails. Like I had never done that. 
but thank God I had that job and I learned how to do that stuff. And, you know, all, I feel like all of the jobs did really prepare me for, for dry bar and, you know, dry bar was such a fluke. I mean, it was like, I knew how to do hair for so long and I moved to LA. I didn't know anybody. And I immersed myself in like the mommy community. Cause like I said, I became a stay at home mom and I was home with my two kids. And I thought I was like, you know, that was all I was going to do. And I think at that point I thought maybe I'd be like a PTA mom. And then I was like, oh no, I don't want to do that at all. It just wasn't for me. And, you know, and I got really like itchy to get back out there and do something for myself. So I started the mobile business and that was like really no frills, super simple. My ex-husband, Cam, who is the creative genius behind Dry Bar and Squeeze and Beckett and Quill and all the stuff that we do, he made me a one-page website that was called Straight at Home. And it was literally one page. And it was like a little bit about me. I'll come to your house. I don't even think I put a picture of myself on it, but it was like, I'll come to your house for 40 bucks and blow dry your hair while your baby is sleeping. That was the concept. And you know, and that really <laughs> took off because women, you know, historically were used to like, if somebody, especially in LA, if somebody came to your house for a blowout, it would cost you at least a hundred dollars, you know? So I was like, oh, it's not really about the money. It's like, I want to get away from my kids for a couple hours every day. So I'm going to do this because I can do it with my eyes shut. And so during that time, I realized like I could not meet all the demand I was getting. I mean, I'm pretty good at hair. So I was like, you know, clients liked me and I was giving great blowouts and it was like, shit, I'm, I'm too busy now. What? And so that's what I went to my brother and said, Hey, I think I should turn my mobile business of straight at home into a brick and mortar. Instead of me going to them, they come to me. And that was it. That was the whole thing of why dry bar started. And, you know, we thought it would be, we didn't know. I mean, we thought I mean, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't like somewhere in the back of our minds that maybe this is a bigger opportunity. But I mean, we were just worried because that I wanted it to be $35. And, I, and it was like, shit, we got to do a lot of blowouts if we're going to do them for $35 to make this business work. And in my mind, it was like, I mean, me and Michael both were like, if we could do 35 to 40 blowouts, we'd have like a nice little business. I'd pick up my kids from school. And like, I, I really thought it was just going to be me and my one little shop and I'd hang out during the day at, you know, at dry bar. And then I'd get my kids. And then it was like, holy shit. You know, we got thrown into the deep end in the best way possible. Where it was like, we were so booked. We were so busy. We were like, wow, we are really onto something. And we knew that in the first couple of days. And then it was like, everything just went crazy from there of like building this into this massive business that, you know, none of us were really prepared for. <laughs> it's insane. Just the idea of like, we knew within a couple of days that this was just going to go gangbusters. Yeah. You know, I've talked about this a lot, but it's still like, I, it, it feel, I mean, it was 11 years ago and it's, I can remember like it was yesterday. I mean, we were, we started daily candy. Do you remember daily candy, um, had run yep. something on us. And if you got into daily candy, it was like, you had made it. And we got into daily candy because of the connection my brother had, because he had worked, my brother used to, in the early days of Yahoo used to run the Yahoo marketing, like shopping page. And he knew, I think her name was Danny Levy. She's the founder of I can have that wrong of daily candy. And he put daily candy on the front page of Yahoo and created a relationship. You know, it's like the relationships are fucking everything. And that got us into daily candy and that daily candy thing ran and everybody started booking online. And, and I will never forget it. I was sitting at Coral Tree Cafe, if you know Brentwood, that's right next to where we opened our first dry bar. And all of a sudden, all these appointments started booking in and we hadn't even opened the doors. And we were like, oh my God. And I think it was really right then and there, we knew something crazy was going to happen. And then we opened and we were just so booked. And we had had at that point on all our collateral and on our window, like Poppins welcome. And 
region know if people were going to book online or if people were going to just walk in, but it turns out most people wanted to book online and we were turning people away. Like we were like this hot club. We were like, we just, I, I used to pull out like a stool and just plug into the wall, which was like terrible, but you know, cause we only had eight chairs and we had so much demand and it was just this like, who knew, you know? So yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. At first, and I think this is also something that some founders may struggle with, you inevitably had to make sure to hire individuals and train individuals to create a quality of work that you were really happy with. So you had to let go a little bit because you couldn't pull up a stool and do 10 heads of hair at once. So for you, talk me through that initial process of having to get good at delegating and letting go a little bit. Well, I did not get good at that for a very, very long time. It would really be like five or six years until I got good at that. I mean, I was doing blowouts in that first chair in Brentwood for months because, you know, we were open seven days a week and I didn't, I also didn't take a day off for six months, seven days a week. I was there for at least six months. I would do blowouts at the first stations because, you know, the way Brentwood is set up, it's like that first station is right at the front door and women would walk in. I, so I could make sure I had eyes on like the receptionist and make sure like the greeting and everything was going well and I could be doing blowouts. So I could, you know, cause we didn't have enough stylists and, you know, we really were, I mean, I would love to say we were training people from the get-go, but we weren't, you know, I was doing the way I hired people in those early days. I had them come to my house and blow out my hair as like, and talk to them for a little while. And it's like, they seemed like a nice person and they did a good blowout. Like that was it. You know, we didn't actually <laughs> start fleshing out our training program until we were opening in New York city. And there was so much pressure from the editors and, you know, to be really great. And that's when we started to really start to develop a training program. Now it's really big and robust, but at that time it wasn't, you know, it was just kind of like, let's just go, you know, which I think is like an important thing to point out, you know, especially for somebody starting a business. And it's like, I talk about all the time, like you don't, you don't have to have everything figured out. You know, my, my brother always said like, don't let perfect get in the way of progress. And I always loved that because we did not have our shit together. I remember like being like so stressed out because I would see stylists doing things that I was like, Oh my God, why are they doing it like that? And I, you know, I, I had like a lot of years experience of doing hair and I knew I could spot it from like a mile away when somebody was doing something wrong or, you know, not the way I wanted it done. I knew it would last and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and it was like a lot of, whew, I mean, it even gives me anxiety thinking about it now because it, it was like very stress inducing for me because I didn't have, you know, I, I didn't have a, like a tight grip on that stuff in the early days because it was just so intense and it, you know, it was going to be that crazy. And, you know, we slowly but surely started to, you know, bring in more stylists and help training and, but man, that was like an intense time. And, and, you know, and I think the quality of blowouts in those early days wasn't as good. And that used to be a thing when we first opened new shops, like took us like a couple of weeks to get the stylist, like up to speed, moving faster and all of that stuff. And we just like, you know, we had to just like kind of deal with it in the early days. Cause like, it was this rub between wanting to get open quickly and having stylists ready and a lot of them weren't and they were nervous and no, no stylist had ever done blowouts in this like intensity, you know, of like one after the other, after the others, it was, it's a very different concept than working in a traditional hair salon where you take a client, you have a break, they're processing or, you know, it's just like a different ball game. So we've, you know, I, I feel like we've really trained an industry. I mean, pre pandemic, we had 4,000 employees and I would say beyond that, we probably have trained 10,000 people, you know? So 
It's, it, it went, yeah, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it went crazy. It was so funny. The day I got the confirm that you and I were going to be sitting down, I actually went to dry bar for the first time since before the pandemic. So before yeah. early 2020. And it is special and a testament, I would say, to the rigorous process now that you have put all of these people through. And of course, like having very clear and precise brand messaging because you walk in and it's been two years and it feels the exact same as when you walked in, mm. you know, over two years ago. And I think that's really that's special nice and really awesome. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that. Where, where are you located? What city, did, which shop did you go to? I went to the dry bar at Brookfield Place in New York. Oh, nice. I love that shop. Um, I love that area. It's nice that that's open again. I mean, that is like the best thing I can hear, you know, and it's certainly the biggest challenge for us is like the consistency from location to location and having, making sure that, you know, you walk in a dry bar in any city and you have that great experience. So that's like, Oh, the best thing I can hear. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a process to get to that point. For sure. For sure. So for you at first, as this is going gangbusters, all of the people are coming, you're training more and more people, you're starting to open up multiple shops. How do you kind of come back to you and stave off what I would imagine to be some of the guilt? Because you went from being a stay-at-home mom with your kids to all of a sudden, almost like wildfire being thrown into this completely different thing. Yes. I mean, it's it was so... You know, I'm in the process right now of writing like a memoir, you know, which just feels like weird to do at my age. Yeah. And it's just like, it's basically my life <laughs> story. And it's funny to go back and think about all that and how, oh man, it was so challenging and it was so hard to, um, you know, to manage it all. And I mean, <laughs> I don't know that I did it very well. I ended up getting divorced. Um, but you know, I mean, it was just like, you know, it was so intoxicating, you know, it was so cool coming up with this concept and the way people loved it and the way we were changing lives and the fact that we were giving, you know, so many stylists this great opportunity and we were growing teams and it was just so cool. And I felt so proud of what we were doing, but it did throw my like personal life into a tailspin. You know, it was like my kids were three and five when we started dry bar, you know, they're, they're 14 and 16 now. And, you know, thank God my mom was around and she really helped me with my kids. Cause I, I had to leave them so often. And it was this like push and pull and but you know, my, and now, and now it's funny seeing in my kids, my kids have such an entrepreneurial spirit about them. And, you know, I think that some of that is just in their DNA, but I think some of it is like watching me. I mean, my, I will tell you anytime I say to my kids, I'm proud of you for whatever thing they always say back to me, I'm proud of you. Like they know what we've built. They, cause we live in LA. It's like, they have felt the impact from their friends, like their girlfriends know their, their friends' moms know. And it's like, they feel like such a sense of pride of like the fact that their, you know, their mom and dad built dry bar and, you know, cause it's become this thing and this thing that women love. And so, you know, while there were a lot of sacrifices made and it was like, just almost like the best way I can describe it is like whiplash of like trying to be a good mom and trying to be a good wife and trying to run this business, you know, it was like, some days were good and some days really sucked, you know, and there were some things that I had to miss that I wish I hadn't missed. And, and in later years, and I've, I've talked about this a little bit publicly, you know, my older son in the last few years, kind of, kind of around the divorce, but beyond that went through a really rough period. And, 
you know, and it turns out like, you know, there was a lot of things that I missed when they were growing up that, I mean, they're still growing up, but they're, they're a little older now. And it's like, I don't, I don't know if I would do it differently or not, but you know, that finding that balance and, and being and trying to do it all is like virtually impossible, but you know, you do the best you can. And I, I so firmly believe everything happens for a reason. And you know, I think that my kids will be better in the long run for having seen us build this business from scratch and know that like the success and, you know, the wealth that we've built is from working really, really hard for it, you know, and I think that at the end of the day is, is the best kind of message we can give our, our kids. taking a break from today's episode to give some love to my sponsor, Athletic Greens. It's what I sip on every single morning. In fact, it is what I am sipping on right now as I deliver you this content. Athletic Greens is by far the simplest yet most comprehensive supplement I have implemented into my daily routine. It's a greens powder that provides 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, plus the antioxidant equivalent of 12 servings of fruits and vegetables. No catch. It's a one-stop shop to help support my body's nutritional needs across five critical areas of health, including energy, immunity, gut health, hormonal and neural support, and healthy aging. I get asked about the taste all of the time, and honestly, the best way that I can describe it is it's refreshing and subtly sweet without any of that grassiness that sometimes can come with green juices and beverages. Plus, it's got under one gram of sugar per serving. Athletic Greens is a special offer for the Hurdle listeners. Head on over to athleticgreens.com hurdle and get a year's supply of vitamin D plus five free travel packs with your first purchase. Again, that is athleticgreens.com hurdle to get all the freebies and get in on the Athletic Greens gang today. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Like it's never going to be easy to hear that you have either intentionally or unintentionally hurt someone you care about or weren't there for someone when you wished that you could have been. And so now that you know this, all you can do is take these learnings into moving forward. I feel like a question I get a lot from the audience is just asking about like, how do I apply the lessons that I've learned in the hard moments when new hard moments come, knowing that there are going to be so many things that are unpredictable. So for you, when you think about the tough shit that you've been through, what would you say has been the through line? Would you say it's, well, I got through this hard shit so that I know I can do it again? Is it resiliency? Is there like something that you go back to time and time again in terms of like a mantra or something you say to yourself? Like, how do you pick yourself up when you're going through tough thing after tough thing? Well, you know, I think that like I was pretty shut down kind of emotionally for a long time. And, you know, I think I was very avoidant of, feelings and in, in both like my marriage and in like tough relationships at work, you know, where I just would like avoid, avoid, avoid. And, you know, and I think after going through my divorce and what I went through with my son, it was like, it really like softened me. You know, my, my brother jokingly like caused me like, you know, this new version of me, like Ali 2.0. But I do think it's true. I think I softened a lot in the last couple of years. And, you know, I think that like looking back, 
you know, I, I don't know. I think I would have done some things different, but I feel like, you know, it was just kind of this, like, keep going, keep growing, keep trying, you know, mentality, I guess that I, I would say it was like, you know, you got to just kind of, I think similar to what I mentioned when, when I was younger and I was like trying to follow the jobs and the things that I like doing, you know, I have, I have largely found that in my life. I've, I've stayed pretty connected to the, like, the thing that was driving me or moving me. And I've, I think that's like, you know, staying really in touch with what's going on for you. I mean, you know, not to get into like the TMI of my marriage falling apart, but you know, it was, it was about following, you know, some feelings and, and things that I was, you know, I was like struggling with and just getting really honest about those things. And I guess, you know, I don't know, to answer your question, I think I'm, I'm better on the other side, you know, and I, I've learned how to like manage my emotions a little bit better and say the things that I need and have the hard conversations. And, you know, I find myself like picking up the phone when there's a tough situation going on in work or in life, whereas I used to kind of avoid it or try to get somebody else to do it, you know? So I don't know. I think it's been a progression of learnings, you know, but you never, you never really stop. You never stop that like growing and learning. And I think that's when you're like kind of dead in the water. If you're just like, you know, and I think a lot of people do that. I think I did that. You know, I don't think I realized like how much I had to like learn and grow. And as as hard as like the last couple of years of my life were, I'm so grateful for having to go through what I went through because it really brought me to the other side. And, you know, I don't know if I answered your question or not. Just <laughs> well, I mean, what you're riffing on right now kind of reminds me of what you were saying earlier that you took those learnings from when you were a stylist and you brought them into your time at Drybar. Someone popped into my DMs earlier and they were asking me, and it felt a little random, but they were like, do you feel like you've had a linear or a non-linear career path? And I would almost argue that you always have a linear career path, although it may not be conventionally linear. Like you have gone on to do all of these things, but everything that you did before you got to where you are now taught you something that you brought into this newest chapter, so to speak. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that that's like, you know, it's like what I always, I I talk to a lot of like high school and college students. I really like doing that because I feel like, you know, for me, when I came out of high school and, you know, I'm 46 and it's like, there wasn't a lot of like female role models. There weren't a lot of women publicly leading companies. And now there are, and it's like, you know, and, and I think it's important, I mean, to show all the variance between all of us, you know, it's like, I've been on panels with female founders of companies who like went to Harvard and they are really like smart and they understand like the financial side of the business, like much better than I did, but you know, I didn't go to college and I did it a different way. And and then there's everything in between, you know, and showing that to, you know, people like there is not one path. There are so many different paths and linear, non-linear, like it's like, it doesn't really, it's like, doesn't even matter. You know, it's just kind of keep following the thing that you're excited about. I mean, I, I feel so passionately about that. I feel like, you know, so many, especially younger people get caught up in this, like what I should be doing, what my parents want me to be doing, what I'm supposed to do after high school versus like what I really want to do. You know, my vote is do what you really want to do and and like see where it lands you. I mean, even now I'm dealing with that with my, I'm starting to deal with that with my kids, like my 16 year old, you know, it's like, 
whatever you want to do, you know, just do what you want to do. And and I feel like that's, that's kind of how I was, you know, my parents were so supportive of that. I mean, I moved to New York city when I was 18 by myself, just because I really wanted to live in New York. And I really think like my older son will do that. You know, I think he'll just, he'll go and he'll figure it out the way I did. And I'm sure I will be a nervous wreck like my mom was, but (laughs) it'll be, it'll be good for him. You know, it's like, it's, it's all whatever path you take, you know, It'll all work out. It'll all work out. So for you, as you were building Dry Bar, did you get to a point? Because obviously, as the story goes, like it doesn't stop with Dry Bar. So did you get to a point where you started to ask what's next? And do you remember like when that was? Well, yes. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of a slow progression. And then it sped up really quickly because when we raised, we raised a lot of money in the Dry Bar days. And I remember when our private equity partner wanted us to bring in a professional CEO and I was very against that and it actually turned out to be such a great thing. And and that was like when it was first starting, when I was like, even though John Hefner, who was our CEO, we were very much, it was like me and him and my brother, we were very partnered up and it was great, but it was the early stages of me, like not being responsible and having my hand in everything the way I once had. And then that, you know, that, that slowly started to happen more and more as we brought in more people, rightfully so who were like, had more experience with growing and scaling a business than I did. So like, that was great. But that was like, I would say around like year four or five. And it just like slowly progressed over the years. And, and I remember having a lot of like tough conversations with John about like, you know, when I used to go into the stores and I would be, you know, I would like lose my mind when I would walk in the store, because like, to me, it's like, it's not relaxing to walk into dry bar because I see all the things that are right to me, which you probably wouldn't notice, but like the little things that I know aren't, aren't the way they're supposed to be and not always, you know? And so I would like usually, usually throw a little bit of a fit about that. And I learned how to get that in check. And, um, and so it was like, you know, a little, little by little, I started like having less and less involvement in every single decision. And then that, that became more intense. And, and I would say when it really like hit the fan was when Cam, my ex-husband and I had, we had an dry bar, had a corporate office in Irvine. And then we were, we had lived in LA our lives and moved to Orange County for a few years. I didn't love it there. So we wanted to move back and we opened like a creative office here in LA. And so it broke up the office a little bit and we had brought like creative and marketing to LA and then everybody else was back in Orange County. And, you know, shortly after that time, Cam and I split up and, you know, I couldn't go to that. I couldn't work in the office anymore. And I was also like not doing the day-to-day stuff that I had been doing. And I was like, oh shit, you know, where do I go now? What do I do now? Because my, my role had changed quite a bit and I had, you know, was doing all the things that I had been doing. So, you know, that was like almost three years ago, I guess, that that went down and it was really hard for me. And it, and it really would, you know, prove to take like a good year or so to like recalibrate and figure out like what I'm doing. And that's kind of when we, you know, we had started talking about squeeze and I, you know, we started talking about these other things and I was really like thrown and confused. And it was kind of like, oh my God, I've built this big business, but I'm not really running it anymore. And what am I doing with my life? And so, yeah, I remember that moment (laughs) quite intensely because it was also (laughs) compacted with the fact that like I was going through a divorce and where I had gone every day for the last year or so, I couldn't go anymore. And I was like, who am I now? What do I, what am I doing now? And so that, that was a really intense time. And, you know, I'd say I'm on like the tail end of that now with like, you know, all the other projects I'm involved with writing this book and, you know, and and a handful of other things that I have going on that I'm starting to like kind of land back on like 
this is like what my life looks like. And then of course the pandemic hit and it was like, I'm not going anywhere anyway. So <laughs> it's been a weird couple of years. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about all the things that are going on now with Beckett and Quill and, you know, the jewelry company and squeeze and now the launch of okay humans. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a really cool time and it's all kind of worked out, you know, just like it does always. The first thing I want to double click on is the question that I'm sure the listener might have first and foremost. Did you go through these feelings of we shouldn't have built this together? What did you feel in that time when you couldn't go through your day to day like you had been, not just because of the split, so to speak, but because of the fact that like you could no longer feel necessarily in that time period anyway, comfortable with your business partner? Yeah. I mean, the first like year was really tough. And, um, you know, luckily the way our business was structured is like what Cam did and what I did were so different, except for the fact that like he had to use like my picture and all sorts of things. And I was like, Oh my God, he's not gonna He's not going to want to look at my face. <laughs> um, but you know, we, it, it, I would say it was like, it was like nine months. I mean, we, we posted a picture together. It's a long story, but he was taking the boys on a vacation to Jamaica and I was actually dating somebody and I was on a trip somewhere else. And that situation went bad. And I actually went to Jamaica and met them there, which was like, I can't believe I pulled that off, but I, I went and I met them there and it was about nine months after we had split. And it was the first time we'd all been together again, the four of us. And I remember it like, you know, we, we were like on the mend and we were, you know, we all stayed in the same place. We didn't like sleep in the same bed, but we all stayed in the same place. And, you know, Cam and I were up early talking and we posted a picture from that about like how hard the last nine months have been, but we're, we're, we're trying to be a really good example to our kids that, you know, sometimes things don't work out and that's okay. And so, you know, we, while the first like, you know, almost year was hard to like work together, we were both pretty adult about it and made it work. You know, it was like, there's a lot on the line here. And we both knew that, you know, from like our children first and foremost, but you know, this, this amazing business that we'd built together. And it was like, we didn't want to, you know, be like foolish and, you know, ruin what we had built in the last 10 years together. And so we, we were both pretty mature about, keeping those things priority, obviously, first and foremost was like being the best version of ourselves for our boys. And then, you know, secondly, like keeping this, like our legacy together and that, you know, thank God we were both like, of you know, the right mind to do that. Not at every moment, but you know, it was like, it, it was really, we felt like it had, we had really kept it separate. You know, it was like the kids and the business were like off limits. We don't fuck with that. You know, these are like important things and you know, all the other like bullshit we did behind the scenes and the fighting and the whatever, like, you know, that, that happened, but you know, we were pretty good about keeping our priorities, which I think for anybody going through a divorce, it's like not putting the kids in the middle is like, whew, and I see so many people do it and it's so crazy to me, but that's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's another podcast for another day. Yes, well, yes. I mean, in all of this, as you mentioned, the pandemic as well, right before the pandemic, I mean, within you know a matter of months, maybe a full year when Squeeze launched. First of all, for the listeners who may not have listened to Brit's episode yet, tell me what Squeeze is. So Squeeze is a massage concept where you go in and you get an actual massage in a, a space. But one of the beautiful things, probably the biggest differentiator of Squeeze is that it's all, you know, the appointment, the booking, all of that stuff 
paying, tipping is all done through the app. So we spent over a year developing this app where you can see and read about your therapist. You can read reviews about your therapist. You book on the app, you tip on the app, you pay on the app. So it's, you know, was largely, you know, influenced by like, you know, the Ubers and Postmates where it's like, everything's happening on the app. So, you know, you feel like, you can just kind of do it all like in the privacy of your phone and, you know, and you can pay in like a credit card or cash and, and squeeze. You have to do it all through the app. And but the beauty of it is, it's like you walk in the first time you come in, you sign a waiver on our, our iPad. And after that, you know, it's like you walk in, you've put in the app, the parts of your body, like massage, the parts that you don't, you like, you know, you can control the room temperature, you can control the music, the lighting, everything. And we have all of that written down. So it's like the seamless, beautiful experience. And when you're done, you literally walk out the door and you don't like have to, you know, you're in this like blissful state. You don't want to have to wait in line and talk to somebody and all that shit that is annoying when you leave a massage, frankly, you know, <laughs> and that's, and that's something that like we basically took because we're such massage goers. My, my parents were big, big on that. And so Michael and I grew up in that world and it was like, but collectively we all were like, what are the things that drives us crazy about getting a massage? It's like the booking was really hard. I mean, there's, there's a handful of other like chains out there. And it's like, if you want to go to a different location, you have to actually physically call all these locations, which is like in this day and age, it's so silly and annoying, you know? And so we took that away. It's like, you have probably haven't been to squeeze, but there's a little like button under the bed that alerts the therapist outside that you're now ready. So eliminates that like crazy, like frenzy to get under the covers when you're naked in a room. And there's just a lot (laughs) of things that we've thought of that, you know, make it a much better experience than anything, frankly, out there. And, you know, the first year it was, it just like killed it. I mean, if you look at our reviews on Yelp, they are literally all five stars. I mean, that is unheard of. You know, I've never been a big Yelp fan because of the nature of that. And you can be anonymous, which drives me crazy, but man on squeeze, you know, we've really knocked it out of the park. And so much of that is Brittany, you know, and she, she took so much of her learnings from dry bar and just her, you know, great instincts. And, you know, for so many, so many years of working in dry bar and beyond that, that she, we knew she would be amazing at this. And she really has been so much credit to her for, you know, helping us create this amazing brand. So yeah. Then like dry bar speak, you know, there, there was a hole in the marketplace. Like I mentioned, there was like these discount chains or like the spas and then there was kind of nothing in the middle. So we created it. So we created it. So, I mean, between squeeze and dry bar, a la COVID talk to me about the mental space that you got in and how you managed this unforeseen hurdle of sorts. Yeah. I mean, it sucked. Those first couple of weeks were so intense and like having to shut dry bar down was really like, oh, you know, I mean, dry bar is open seven days a week, so it like never closes. And to be closed down and like for the stylist, it was just, it was intense. And it got really, we got really close to like having to like close up the whole thing, which would have been like the most devastating thing. But, you know, we, we tried to pivot with the like pivot. It's like the most overused word of 2020, right? Um, but we really <laughs> did try to like move into like, let's help people like get blowouts at home. And I was doing all these videos and showing people how to use product. And, you know, and then at some point it was just kind of like, we're just hanging on here, you know, and it was the same thing with squeeze and so many adjustments had to be made and so many people had to be let go and furloughed and all of that. And, you know, I think that the silver lining of it is that, you know, we all got a lot more connected, I think, to our families. And, you know, I really relished like all the board games and connect four and all the stuff that I was able to do with my boys. And my, the fact that my boys weren't able to go out and be with their friends and they were kind of, you know, stuck with us 
And that was fun. You know, I loved that time. You're like, that was awesome. They were like, that was kind of awesome, but we also missed our friends. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they definitely did. And they felt isolated and lonely and Zoom school was, oh my God, what a shit show that was. But, you know, we all <laughs> got through it. And, you know, I, I think I'll tell you on the flip side of it, I'm sure everybody agrees with this. We're so like, so grateful now to be able to be out again. And it's like, who would have ever imagined in our lifetime that that would be a thing that we even think about? So gives us all a little bit of perspective, I think. A little bit of perspective. And then we haven't talked about Beckett and Quill yet. What made you want to start a jewelry company? Well, I've always had like an intense love of jewelry. And, you know, it's just like one of those things that I think a lot of girls have where it's like you just love jewelry and new pieces of jewelry. And um, I think for me in the last, I'd say like maybe five years or so, I've really gotten into jewelry. I have so many piercings. And I came across Meredith Quill, because a friend had sent me like her little black signature heart, which is probably our best seller. And it was just so cute. And I had never seen anything like that. And I, I posted about it and then she reached out to me and we started talking and she would always post jewelry on her. And she had this little business. She had this little Etsy shop and she was running a very tiny little business, but all of her stuff was really cute and really affordable. Cause she had, you know, figured out how to do things that like looked and felt expensive, but didn't cost a lot. And, you know, very dainty, beautiful jewelry that was like, you know, gold filled or vermeil, which is like basically like several steps above gold plated. So it, it lasts and wears really, frankly, as good as 14 karat gold. And it looks really great. And I was like, why haven't I heard of this? And, you know, and certainly there's competition out there, but I feel like she's done a really good job of making, like I said, making things look and feel really high end, like using, you know, a white topaz or, you know, sapphire instead of a diamond will make something cost a couple hundred dollars versus a couple of thousand dollars. And I think it's like, right. it's so nicely dovetails into this, like, feel good thing, you know, like, having new jewelry makes women feel really good, you know, and to be able to have stuff that's like, Hey, I can buy a few more pieces because it's not that expensive. And so you're going to kind of keep buying it because, you know, you want the latest necklace, the latest, this and that, and we've made it so you can afford to buy, you know, more jewelry. Like, I just feel like it's such a pick me up and, and women love it. And I love it, you know, and it's like, we know, we know that it's working. But Meredith comes over my house and she's always wearing something new that we aren't selling yet. And I'm like, what is that? Where did you get that? Why don't I have that? You know? And it's like that, I always want that stuff. And I think that for me, it's like, I limited myself on buying jewelry because, you know, it's expensive, but we've figured out a way to make it inexpensive and, and make it work. So I had Cam, my, you know, my ex who did dry bar and squeeze, you know, rebrand it. Cause I felt like her branding wasn't where it needed to be. We redid the website. I brought in more help and we have a lot more resources and the business is like probably three times what it was when she was running it by herself. And she welcomed it and was super excited to have, you know, have me help her. And, and so that's kind of why it started. And she has a love of jewelry that started when she was a kid from her grandmothers. And, you know, she's really the, the jewelry maker. I'm just helping kind of amplify the business, which, which I'm really enjoying. Amplify the business. So you haven't, you know, done anything in your career, nothing, <laughs> nothing to talk about clearly in all of this, which probably segues into the last, you know, business that we will chat about. Okay. Humans for you, how have you prioritized if you have at all? I mean, we talked about being a little bit emotionally blocked at times, but what do you do to take care of you? <sighs> well, it, it definitely shifts, you know? I mean, I, I feel like when I was going through my divorce and when life was like 
really overwhelming with my kids. I was, I was meditating a lot. I started doing transcendental meditation, which I do sporadically now. I'm not as intense about it as I used to, but I'm like, a, you know, I'm, I love to walk. I, I feel so happy and grateful where we live now, kind of in like the West Hollywood area where I can walk to a lot of things. And I really love that. You know, I think from living in New York City, I I got very like attached to the walking to places. So we finally live in an area of LA where I can walk a lot and just being outside and walking gives me a sense of like calm. And sometimes I'm listening to a podcast, sometimes I'm listening to music, sometimes I'm, you know, checking up on email, you know, and I do yoga and I also now I work out pretty regularly, which has been like my, you know, my fitness and weight has been really interesting over the last like three years, because when I was going through divorce, I lost like 30 pounds and I was like very, very skinny. And according to my friends and family, like very unhealthy looking, but of course I liked it. And I liked the way I looked at that point, but realized like that wasn't sustainable because I like really wasn't eating. And so now it's been this like, how do I get my body where I feel good about it, where I don't need to be that intensely skinny? So I, I grapple and struggle with that a lot. And I just kind of got back into a workout routine where I go to this place up the street called Bunda, which is like weights and stairs, basically. Because I feel like everybody I know is like, you have to lift weights to really like change your body. So, you know, that's always been like kind of a thing, but I'm like making myself do it three times a week. And, and that is like making me feel stronger and in control. You know, I think when you're like, you know, really have discipline to work out and eat better is when you start to see results. I just think the results take a long time and that it can be like the really hard part. But I think that's kind of what I'm doing right now to kind of keep myself like mentally balanced and feel in control. Therapy question mark? Yes. Well, you know, I think when Christy came to us and Christy, who's our founder and had this idea, she, I was, I mean, it's such a great story because I was literally walking out of Squeeze in Studio City on Ventura in a fog because that's when like, you know, things were really intense for me. And Christy stopped me on the street and she was like, Hey, I've been, you know, I'm Christy and I've been DMing you because I have this idea for this massage concept. That's like, you know, very in line with what you guys are doing. And she had literally just come from a meeting with Brittany and had, you know, pitched her on this idea of okay humans. And like, you know, basically her, her mission, which I thought was such a beautiful one was like destigmatizing talk therapy and getting people more comfortable with it in like their everyday lives and like a more, you know, commonplace like setting. And that's really what OK Humans will be. It'll be in like, you know, shopping centers like Dry Bar Squeezes in where you might run into your friend and there's a lot of different therapists to choose from. And it's a really beautiful setting and you can look on the app and it's like creating this experience that otherwise hasn't existed around therapy, just like we created it around massages and blowouts. You know, it's, it's like, there's a person running the place. So if you don't like your therapist, you can talk to them about a different therapist you know, we're, we're in talks with some really cool like CBD companies and like just, you know, creating this really beautiful, accessible experience around talk therapy was really the mission. And, you know, as somebody who went through a lot of therapy when I was like dealing with a massive crisis in my life, you know, which we all have those times, you know, therapy really got me through it. And I think it's just a really important thing and everyone needs to talk about their shit, you know, you know, whether you do it with us or you do it somewhere else. I mean, if everybody was really like taking care of themselves mentally, I think, you know, the world becomes a much nicer place. And so, you know, this is our little contribution to that. Our little contribution. Well, I mean, I go to your Instagram page. I see this strong, badass female founder, 206,000 Instagram followers. When you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you? 
Oh God. Do you ask everybody that? Um, I may or may not. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it depends on the day, you know? I mean, I'm sure I, I wouldn't be alone in saying that like some days I, you know, I look in the mirror and I like, I feel like such a badass and I feel really proud of myself and I feel like, holy shit. And like, there are days that things happen to me that I'm sure don't happen to most people that I'm like, wow, you know, or like get emails from really, really interesting people. Like, and then there's days where I'm like, I suck. I am not doing anything right. I'm a disappointment to everybody. I don't like the way I look. I don't like the way I feel, you know, it's just like this. And I, I would bet a lot of money that it's like that for everybody. The most, you know, the person that you look up to most in the world, I guarantee it's like that for them too, you know, and having a lot of like pretty impressive friends. I, I know that that's true. You know, I, I don't know if you've, if you've caught the new Oprah special where she interviews Lady Gaga and Prince Harry and like, I love that series. And of course, I mean, like Oprah's just magic, but it's like, you know, shining a light on that, that like, every, you know, you would never have known like the struggle, like him and Meghan Markle were having, you know, and, and I, I know Megan, she used to come into driver all the time. So we were like kind of sort of friends. And, and I, I would never have imagined that she's so perfect and beautiful and smart and poised. And it's like, holy shit, you know, to hear what was like going on for them. It's just, you just never know what somebody else is going through. And I think that I, you know, I have days where I feel really empowered and really like proud and awesome. And then I have days that I just like, I am a mess, you know? And I think like learning how to like accept the bad days are coming just as, as frequently as the good days is how to, you get through it, I guess. <laughs> You hinted at this, so I've got to ask you. I mean, I told you at the top of this podcast that uh, you were on my original list of a handful of people that I wanted to chat with. So when your email hit my inbox, it was really exciting. Do you remember the last time that an unbelievable email hit your inbox, having so many impressive friends that you were like literally knocked off your side? Well, you know... <laughs> I've gotten a lot of those, but I'll, but I'll, the one that like pops to mind, which is probably why I said it, you know, it was like, I, I had the like honor of becoming friendly with Maria Shriver over the years. Oh. Um, and she actually, you know, my mom passed away like about six years ago. And when I was going through divorce, my mom had died already. And, you know, Maria <laughs> gave me some real tough love. I mean, was like, get out of bed, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, you know, almost to the point where she was annoying, but I loved her for it. And, you know, we, we developed this really like beautiful little friendship and, and she was really there for me. And I, and I know Catherine pretty well. And, but I, I randomly got a DM from Patrick Schwarzenegger like a couple of days ago. And I was like, that's weird. Do you think he meant that was an accident? And I responded. And then he responded with this like cool idea that he's working on that he like, you know, him and Maria are working on that they wanted to talk to me about. And I was like, what? You know, it's like, it's just weird, you know, and awesome. And it's like, you know, I mean, I, I know Maria well, so, you know, there's that, but the, like, you know, Patrick Schwarzenegger dated Taylor Swift and like Taylor Swift is like <laughs> Taylor Swift, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, th those moments have happened to me, you know, a handful. I mean, it's like, it was like getting a call from, you know, the producers of Shark Tank, I, you know, when they asked me to come on the show, I was like, really? You know, it's like, I've had a handful of those moments in my life that I'm like, really blown away by and a little bit like, are you sure you have the right girl? But you know, really <laughs> flattered. I love that it's Patrick Schwarzenegger, like out of everyone that could have just weird. like popped out of your mouth. <laughs> 
I know. I know. I mean, I, that just happened. And I was like, you know, this is a really interesting random person to reach out to. I love me, it. But it was cool. I love it. Especially the reference point, but he dated Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when that was happening and I was like, it would probably be poor taste for me to like ask to like come to an event so I can meet Taylor. Cause I've never met her. And, and it's like her and Oprah are on my list of, of like people that I've never met that I would like really like to meet at some point. We're manifesting this like on this yes. podcast right now, <laughs> Taylor, if you're, if somehow this makes it to you, Allie Webb wants to, wants to do your hair ASAP. Yes. I'm sure I she'd be flattered by the way. I know, but I just want to be like best friends with her. You know, it's like, I feel like you and everyone, man, you and everyone. So, okay. As we wind, as we wind down here, final two questions. The first question that I have for you, because you are someone, you said you love talking to high school students and college students. You do a lot of speaking. I'm sure so often you get asked what is one of the best pieces of business advice that you have ever received? So why don't you throw one our way? Um, you know, I, I'd say like two things and I'll say them quickly. First, surround yourself with people who are smarter than you and be really open to what they have to say and feedback, you know, and I think the feedback kind of goes with like, be open to the feedback from your, your clients, your, you know, your coworkers, like in the people around you, be a person that's open to other opinions and ideas. You know, I think the, the quickest way to failure is like thinking that you have all the answers and you know everything and, and how letting people around, you know, that you're open to their ideas, you know, not only will it create an amazing work atmosphere, it'll, it'll make people feel empowered. They want to work for you longer. They want to, they know that they're, they're a part of things. So, you know, I think accepting feedback and surrounding yourselves with, you know, people who know things that you don't. And would you say that Ally 2.0 got better at that than Ally 1.0? Oh, totally. Yeah, no, I wasn't great at that initially. And, and my brother really was, you know, my brother recognized much earlier than I did, like we needed to bring in people who were smarter, who had run and grown and scaled a business like we were trying to do. But I was like, mm, no, you know, I really wanted control of everything. And that took me a little bit of time to get comfortable with. So, it, you know, and sometimes it's like you have to learn the hard way. And I think that I did, but I, you know, eventually got there. Right now, Ally Webb. I've always wanted to say that you have an opportunity to <laughs> offer the alley a piece of advice when she is going through the thick of all of this emotional trauma about two and a half, three years ago, looking back on it as you stand now, what do you tell the alley in that hurdle moment? Well, the thing that I heard most during that time from really everybody around me was like, you know, the only way through is through. And it was like, you know, you just have to go through it. And I hated that. I hated it so much. You know, I wanted to be done. I wanted to feel better. I didn't, I was very depressed and sad and I didn't want to feel like that anymore. And I couldn't get out of it. It was my only like real experience with depression and I'd never experienced it before. And the thing that kept being told to me was the only way through is through like, and I was like, Oh my God, I hate it so much. But now I re I recognize that like, I'm, and I'm grateful beyond belief for having gone through all of that and like changed and evolved and all of that, that I, you know, I think that's what I would continue to tell myself. Like the only way through is through and you just have to like endure it. You know, my, I remember my mom used to say like this too shall pass. And, and that's, that's really what happens, you know, with time and space and you just got to get through it and, and accept it. You know, I think like, I'm sure you've heard resistance, you know, what we resist persists, you know, and I think not resisting it and just like letting it be the way it is, is, is just the best way through. 
It's the best way through. Allie Webb, I'm so grateful for your time. I know it's super valuable. How do the hurdlers keep up with you? How do they follow along with you? Give us the details. Well, I think my Instagram is the best like hub for all the things. Dry bar, (laughs) squeeze, okay humans, Beckett and Quill. It all lives on on my Instagram page, which is just Allie Webb, A-L-L-I-W-E-B-B. Perfect. I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. 